0: So, if you've got a Bible, if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 12, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. And it's a pretty well-known passage, uh, but it's one where Jesus is talking to us about the normal needs of our life and how we tend to get hung up on them. And he tells us we shouldn't. And we're going to be talking about this morning. Pastor Ed's going to be sharing with us about what it looks like to do exactly what Jesus is telling us to do here in this passage. So Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the, gra- the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you a little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, and with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also
1: when my when my family and i first moved here to oregon city uh for about a month we lived in what our church calls the prayer house um and it's now a missions house for for missionaries but it's one of the homes that our church owns and it is uh just a couple doors down over here um we lived in this house for about a month, and uh, people did a pretty good job of, you know, leaving us alone, you know, because I hadn't technically started yet. So, you know, I was, I was allowed to, like, yell at people and, and throw stuff at them. Um, no, but my kids loved having basically a big, huge backyard at that time, which was a church, uh, a big field and everything. And so we were always out. We were doing stuff and, uh, and playing. And one day, um, my kids were out playing on the big field. Uh, my son was, uh, was riding his bike on this gravel uh, road, a lot of ramps. You know, A uh, nice thing about those handicap ramps is uh, you can do a lot more than just go up and down in wheelchairs. And uh, he, uh, I went inside our, I went inside the house to do something. Now there's two doors. There's a front door and a back door on the prayer house. And uh, and uh, I know it's not that advanced. I know a lot of houses have this technology, but um, I'm impressed. Um, and so there's a front and a back door. And um, and I came out the back door, uh, and I and I went out to get him again, and my daughter. I ran in real quick, and I came back out, and my daughter was there, my son was gone. Um, and I didn't know where he was, and it was weird because it's a pretty big property, you know, and I was inside for maybe a minute, and I came back out, and he was gone, and so I called his name a few times, and he didn't respond, and I, uh, it's real wide open out there, so there's not really very many places the, to go. You'd have to get pretty far, and uh, I couldn't find him. And so I started running around the parking lot, calling his name. It was like a time when no one was really here during the day, um, and so there weren't really a lot, any people, cars, or anything, and uh, I started yelling his name. I I ran out to the street, and I started running up and down the sidewalk, uh, yelling his name and and screaming for him, and I remember immediately uh, my body uh, began to feel this fear and I can safely say that it is the most afraid I've ever been in my entire life. Because at that moment, I realized, like, someone's taken our son. Someone's taken him. And, uh, and somehow, a lot of information ran through my mind in a matter of a few seconds. A lot of scenarios, a lot of, uh, of, of things that could happen to him. And, uh, and I immediately began to panic. I was sweating, my heart was pounding, I was like short of breath, I was running around at this point frantically yelling his name again and again around the, everything, and I could not find him anywhere. Um, I ran back in the house and I was yelling, I was shouting upstairs, everything, um, and uh, finally I heard my son say, what? And I, I looked, and there was, like, you know, just a downstairs bathroom. The um, Prayer House also has a downstairs bathroom, pretty fancy. And he just kind of leaned his head kind of in the doorway there, and was like, what? You know? I'm in here. And what I realized was, right as I had walked out the back door, he had walked in the front door. Somehow, he had, like, the instant I had left him, started walking towards the house that I was going into, and he finished his walk and got right to the spot where I couldn't see him the instant I passed him, like something out of a movie. And the way it all happened, it was absolutely I was absolutely convinced that someone had kidnapped one of my children. If you if you've had kids, if you have kids, you know exactly what this feels like. Because you have at some point been convinced that one of your children was gone. Forever. Taken. And uh, I may have a particular set of skills, and I may be able to, you know, uh, uh, beat people up if I find them. Um, But in that moment, I wasn't thinking any of that. I was thinking, I'm never going to find my son again. It was my job to protect him. I was the one. And now he's gone, right? That fear that I felt, fear, is the most overwhelming consuming powerful emotion that we can experience fear it has the ability to crowd out everything else that is going on in your life in a moment jesus talks a lot about fear a lot Uh, he references fear and gives the command and the instruction not to be afraid more than he does any other instruction Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Which in and of itself is advice that today is probably the last thing that you could ever say to a person. And if you're ever afraid or have anxiety, it's the last thing you want people to say to you. Jesus might be the, you know, a lot of people look at Jesus and say, he's an amazing teacher. He's an amazing religious leader. Even if I don't think that he's God or the son of God. Yeah, sure. He's got some great things. You read this and you think, "Uh, that's not the best advice I've ever heard. Don't be afraid. That's up there with like, stop it. (laughs) Right? If only it were that simple. Simple. There's a reason Jesus talks about fear a lot because he's often talking about it uh, in the situation where he is calling his disciples or other people into situations or to do things that will probably cause them to be afraid. This word that he uses, uh, do not be anxious in this passage. When you translate it, it means uh, to worry or to have apprehension about a possible danger or misfortune, you see fear, is the way that we react when we are presented with a situation that we ought to respond to, to be afraid of, right? So if you're walking through the woods and you turn a corner and there is a bear and it is charging at you, your response is fear. The way that your body responds, the way that you react appropriately is called fear. You're afraid because you're being presented with something that you should be afraid of. And your body knows before your mind even knows, it seems. There are systems that kick in and, 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 and overtake our body. They allow our blood to pump faster, us to get more oxygen. They, they allow us to be able to fight or flight, run away from the fear. But anxiety is a reaction, a response to a fear that is not there. Anxiety is when we're afraid, but there's no bear. Anxiety is every time you go into the woods uh, thinking that there's a bear around every corner. Or if you live in Oregon City, every time you walk out of one neighborhood into the woods thinking there's a bear and it's going to attack you. That's anxiety. That is an anxious person. A person who has been diagnosed with a a life-threatening disease, who is afraid that they will or they won't get better... Uh, is fearful of something that has actually been presented to them in their life. A person who every time they go to the doctor is preparing to get the news of a life-threatening disease is a person who is anxious. It's worry. Some people say that worry is, uh, it's praying for things uh, that you don't want to have happen. Uh, that that's what worry and anxiety is. It's fear when there isn't yet a reason to fear. And we worry all the time. This anxiety that Jesus is speaking to when he says to his disciples, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. He says, do not worry. The reason he says it so much is because anxiety is so real. It is a real, present problem in the life of every person. Whether you're someone who deals with a diagnosed anxiety disorder, in which you are feeling anxiety all the time, or in a variety of situations, or your anxiety doesn't just come from the thing you're afraid of, but something else that causes you to just look for things to be afraid of, and then find something and settle on it, and go, that's all I need, that's enough for me. Or whether you're a person who has worry that is wrapped up in a specific thing. We all worry about something. Something that isn't right in front of us happening. Maybe something that hasn't ever happened, but something that we're afraid of happening. Anxiety is real. It is a real thing. You may not think it. You may not think I'm not an anxious person. I'm not a fearful person. But there is worry that is present in some form in your life. And it's usually tied to the things that matter the most to you. We worry about our finances. Whether we have enough money, whether we will have enough tomorrow, or whether we'll have enough in 10 years. Some who have plenty worry about the things that will affect their plenty, the things outside of their control. We worry about our health. We go beyond the routine. We go beyond the, uh, the, the things that we, that we ought to do to take care of ourselves. And we worry about the things that we can't do to take care of ourselves. We, uh, we don't even necessarily live differently because we worry about our health. But we still worry. We worry about our environment. We worry about our planet. We worry about the things around us. We worry about, literally, about the weather. We worry about what's going to happen that we can't control at all. We worry about, about our families. We worry about the people that matter the most to us. We worry about our children, we worry about our parents, we worry about our spouses. We worry about our future and what it will hold. We worry about other people, what these people think of us, how they see us, how they perceive of us, how we come across. We worry about being misunderstood even. We will sometimes sit and be afraid that something didn't come across right. That someone doesn't really understand where we're coming from because of the circumstances or because of the way they feel. And strangely enough, uh, we worry even when we have plenty. Even when we seem to have enough to be okay today, we still have the ability to worry about tomorrow. Anxiety is real for some people. It's more constant than others. It's more than just um, a temporary feeling. It's more than just a state that's limited to a specific period of time in your day even. Uh, For some, it's like a thing running in the background. Anxiety feels kind of like this. Mm. Just living your life, going about your day with this, playing in the background, right? Has anyone ever better captured <laughs> Has anyone ever better captured uh, the sound of anxiety than that right there? <laughs> now, this plays in some people's heads when I walk in the room this, this <laughs> song. I know my family, it does. That's what anxiety is like. Something hasn't happened yet, but something's about to, right? You play that song, and you put that song over any video of anything good happening, right? Something's about to happen. And this is what worry is. And I said that, that anxiety and worry are real, but in a comfortable world, in a comfortable life, not in the third world, not in a developing world, Not a bunch of people who have nowhere to live or have no food to eat. We seem more crippled with worry and anxiety than those in worse conditions than us. Why is that? Why is it that America, the Western world, the developed world, uh, that, that we, that the most commonly diagnosed mental illness is anxiety, And that more and more and more people will continue to struggle with anxiety and the numbers will will rise, predictably, the more comfortable we get, the more we have, the less we should, it seems, be worried about our circumstances. Because anxiety isn't rooted in, in not having something. Anxiety is rooted in losing something. Anxiety and worry come from having and then losing, being afraid of losing something that matters a lot to you. And so the more you have, the more you depend on the things you have. And the more you depend on the things you have, the more you fear not having. This is one of the strangest things about anxiety, that people in better circumstances can actually be more anxious and fearful than people who don't have those things in the first place. We are afraid because our lives are wrapped up in circumstances, in our conditions. The better a family, the better relationships, the more money, uh, the the, the nicer and more comfortable the home, the better the food, the better our health, the better even our health, the more we will be prone to worry, it seems, about losing those things, which is what anxiety is. The essence of anxiety is the desire to control the things that we can't control. Anxiety is that. It's control. That's why we're anxious. We feel the need for control in an area where there is no possibility whatsoever that we can control. Anxiety is, worry is, boiled down, the will to control the uncontrollable around us. Neurological studies tell us that there are actual pathways in our brain, and this is where fear and anxiety travel, that something happens and your brain picks up on something scary before you even are aware of it much of the time, right? Uh, Most marital conflicts in cars involve people picking up on different things in the front seat as fearful, right? when the driver doesn't think it's bad and the passenger gasps, right? How many arguments have come from a gasp, right? <laughs> and when the driver hits on the brakes, for what, when you look up nothing, it seems, right? How many arguments have come from that? See, our, our, our brains, they actually, they, they begin to react before we even know. And we do these things... Uh, uh, sort of subconsciously and as, a, uh, as an instinct, as a reflex. And these pathways in our brain, uh, the more we worry, the more we are anxious, the more they are, and we've said this before, they're like paths through the woods, through grass that get worn in more and more and more. And so the more we think and the more we worry and the more we're afraid, our brains actually become accustomed to go down those paths more. So then we find ourselves doing it again and again and again. And so the really bad thing about it is what worry really is at the worst is this thing it's called ruminating. Have you ever just sat there and thought about something as though worrying about it could fix it? As though worrying about it could make it better? As though worrying about it could somehow give you an edge? Uh, Well, considering that most ruminating happens at night in bed, it seems, there's not a whole lot you can do right then. But this very thing that we do, we we sit and we worry about things that we can't control, that very act, what we feel like is the only thing that we can do to prepare for something that we can't really control, actually harms us. It harms our brains. It makes them then go and worry more. And we, we know this now. This is so basic to us, the idea that stress and anxiety are bad for you. That they, they kill people. They hurt our brains. And that, and that unchecked, over the long term, they are really dangerous to your health. You're not supposed to live. Your body's not supposed to be afraid all the time. Jesus addresses this with his disciples, with the people listening to him, saying to them, he picks out the most basic things. He says, don't worry about your food, your clothing. Don't worry about things like where you will live. Worrying, he says, will not add a single day to your life. Do not try to control the things that you can't control. Nature doesn't try to control itself. And yet he says God takes care of it. God provides for it, so will he not provide for you? But Jesus' answer is not just to ignore it. It's not just to stop thinking about it. If all Jesus said about worry was, don't worry, all of a sudden this guy who's got these wise sayings uh, doesn't seem so wise. That's not all he says about it. He tells us not to worry and not to be anxious because it's pointless and because it harms us. But then he goes on and he says this. Fear not little flock for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus's response is to take control, is to not worry about the things that we can't control, but to then take control. Take a step, do something to change the way that you're thinking and the way that you're living instead of just trying to ignore these things and hoping that somehow your anxiety and worry will help when it pops up. His response is to actually do something. And what it is, he says, is this. There's two things that he points out. The first is this, live for the kingdom. He says, take control by living for something else. Your, wor- your worry is rooted about what you live for. Our worry and our anxiety point directly to the things that matter the most to us. In fact, you can tie, you can find out what you care about most by the things that you fear losing the most. And so the solution is to take control, to confront your fear, to deal with it head-on, and to stop spending your life, making your life about you. Worry instead, live instead, For the kingdom. We're in this series called Upside Down Kingdom, and we're talking about this kingdom of God and how completely flipped all of its values and its rules and everything seem to be from the way we naturally are. You see, above all else, anxiety is self-absorbed because it is us stressing about not having things the way we want them. And so when you're Life is about living for what you want. If our life is simply us trying to have all of what we want, then anxiety makes sense. And you can't tell someone to stop worrying while living for themselves. But when Jesus tells his disciples to do, as he says, let go of this being about you. Let go of this being about having a great 70, 80 years on this planet. If if you're here to make the most of a few years in eternity, then you have a lot to worry about. You have a lot to be anxious about. But if you're here for something much bigger than that, and God has asked you to come and to be a part of his kingdom then to live for the kingdom will lead you away from this worry and this anxiety because the kingdom contains things that you cannot lose, you will not lose. Because as I said, worry is about losing things. It's being afraid. It's knowing that the nature of the things that we care about the most are temporary, it seems. It's knowing that, that we can't control, we can't keep these things from happening to us that we're afraid of happening, knowing that we'll, that we'll lose people that are close to us, knowing that we'll get old and we'll lose our lives, knowing that, that we'll eventually, all the things materially that we've invested in are going to burn up. And if they don't burn up, that they'll be robbed, that, that they'll be stolen from us, that, that the moths will eat them, that the rust will destroy them. And his response is to take control by actually living for something else. But the other way of taking control, he said, going a step further even, the only way, the other way to remove the power that worry has over us, to kind of beat it to the punch, he says, is to be generous. Take control and be generous. Jesus's way of combating the anxiety that plagues us, the worry that is around us constantly, is to be generous. And that the act of giving away, the act of letting go, and the act of being about others is the way to take control. Sell your possessions, he says, and give to the needy. He says, in doing so, you will have these money bags that don't wear out. If you look up the word wear out, it means inexhaustible and unfailing, something that never decreases. He's not just saying it won't get old and fall apart and there won't be holes in the money bag. He's saying this is like a magical never-ending money bag, that what you put into it, that it will always be there, no matter how much you spend out of it. It's a pretty simple thing to understand, right? You see, we have things, and we're afraid of losing them. He says, be generous, and by doing so, and living for the kingdom of God, you will be storing up things. You will now begin to gain somehow, you'll begin to gain these sort of possessions, relationships, these things that won't go away, that you can't lose, that you don't have to be afraid of being taken from you or eaten up or robbed by other people. And when the root of worry is usually fear of losing what we know we're gonna lose anyway, this is a pretty good deal. You know, uh, giving to others, being about others is good for us, it turns out. There's an article this last year in Psychology Today. Revolutionary thing, they're discovering that One way to reduce anxiety and to actually help make our brains healthier is to do things for other people, is to be generous, is to actually care about other people. It's it's counterintuitive because when you're afraid, you think about defending yourself, protecting yourself. So what anxiety does to us is it makes us about ourselves. It makes you self-absorbed. It makes you closed in. And so the last thing that you want to do is the first thing you're supposed to do. Is to say I'm going to be about other people I'm going to care about other people as someone who deals with anxiety a lot probably the best tool that I have in dealing with anxiety is what I do which is by nature other people and any time that I've decided I'm gonna withdraw and I'm gonna take a break to, to deal with myself I get worse which is crazy And they're just now discovering that it's good for you to help other people, that it actually makes your brain better, that it actually makes those pathways get a little less worn down and starts to wear down some other ones that are better. Isn't that interesting? Something Jesus pointed to so long ago, saying this is how you take control, this is what you do. So much is tied up in the things that we have and not wanting to lose them, the comforts we have and not wanting to lose them. We live in such abundance, and Jesus' way of taking control is to have less. It is. Have less. Give it away. Be generous with others. Do things for the benefit of others. Give things for the benefit of others. Instead of amassing more for yourself, instead of keeping more and storing more, uh, he, he shares this teaching right after a parable about people who stored up stuff, thinking that they were going to be prepared. They were going to store up food and possessions, thinking they were going to be really well prepared, and then the end came. Basically, God comes back, and the master comes back, and, and they go, oh, I saved up all that stuff for nothing. I know what it is to... We all know what it is to try to protect the things that we have, to try to keep them from um, failing, and from going away. We've all had, I, I talked a few weeks ago about having my car stolen out of my driveway, pushed right down the street on a Saturday night. No matter, I mean, I, it's devastating. And you know, there's a silver lining, I got the truck of my dreams, we've talked about this, you know. $1,800 truck of my dreams, but imagine my surprise when on Tuesday I was here for memorial service talking with Darlene White and she asked me what kind of car do you have again and I told her and she said you know there's a car that looks an awful lot like that sitting on my sitting on my street on a mile from my house so she went home and she took a picture she sent it to me I Said, Darlene that's my car that's right. Darlene White found my car. <laughs> there <you go>. Or. <laughs> Darlene White stole my car, right? <laughs> we'll see. The investigation's ongoing. I've gone, I'm gone from a guy who has, who has not enough cars. Now I have too many cars, right? But I have, I have physically seen things erode away with rust, things that I purchased that should have lasted longer. But I've seen clothing get eaten by moths, holes in it, even though I take care of it. I've seen things stolen, even though I try to protect them. Jesus is saying is you can invest in and care about all of these things so much, but you can't stop people from taking them, time from eroding them. And if all else, like if you are able to protect yourself from all those things, they will eventually still burn up because you're going to die and you can't take it with you. What a foolish investment it is to say, I am going to live for these things now. And the reason that the deepest, most painful, most hurtful loss of all is the loss of people is because when someone dies, we lose them. And so what Jesus says to his disciples is to live for the kingdom because you are Investing now into something that you will not lose. That cannot be taken away from you. And to then be freed up to give to others. Let go. When anxiety says, hold on, I say, let go. And by doing that, you will be in control. But in giving we we have to give the right way we have to actually when he says be generous he's saying give to others not to yourself you know how could i give to myself well it's easy we're really good at finding ways to do sort of mechanically do the act that jesus talks about without actually having the heart that jesus intended us to do it with right we find ways to give that help us, right? We find ways to simplify because having too much stuff bothers us. We purge, which is not what Jesus is talking about. This is not the same thing as, as simplifying your life for a greater peace of mind, have a better version of you at the end of it. Marie Kondo is this famous organizer who uh, goes into people's homes and... Ask them this one question. They pick things up. They look at them and says, she says, does this spark joy in your life? If it doesn't, throw it away. And they go through everything. Categories. And they say, does this spark joy? Does this spark joy? If not, throw it away, Right? Uh, I, I, most people I've known who have gone through some kind of radical simplifying of things, letting go of things, giving things away, trying to simplify their life and everything, uh, they end up with less stuff, but they end up caring a lot more about the things that they do have, right? This is true even in relationships. If you say, oh, fine, no people then, or I'm just going to focus on a few people, great. And what happens when one of those people is gone? You feel it all the more. You see, where a a person today who's still living for this kingdom would say, oh, yeah, give away, be generous, simplify your life, let go of these things. That's why you're anxious. The goal is still always going to be for yourself, to help make your life better for the 70 or 80 years that you're here. So here's the next thing you can do to make your life better in this way. Marie Kondo would say, does it bring you joy? Then keep it. Jesus would say, does it bring you joy? Well, if it does, then you're going to live in fear of losing it. Jesus says, if it brings you joy, that's the problem. When when things and when relationships are the source of all your joy, then they will also be the source of your anxiety. Fear of losing those things, of not being able to control what really affects them. And I cannot possibly stress this enough, that the upside-down kingdom fundamentally says that if you do what is not in your own self-interest, you will find life. Because life is not fundamentally about you. If you do what is not in your own self-interest, you will find life. Not just if you deny yourself for the sake of denying yourself, but if you do it because you're pursuing the kingdom of God. You will find life. You will find joy. You will find fulfillment that far exceeds the shallow, temporary amusement that we call fulfillment, which is just investing in some things now and hoping that nothing happens to the ones that we care about the most the right side up way of viewing things says do things that are wise they, they they often even appear to be in the interest of others give generously if it helps you feel better about yourself if it helps you have some books that look better at the end of the year That if you're uh, you know, your budget and, uh, and, and, and when you file your taxes, it, it, it reflects better or, or makes you feel better. Purge the things in your life if it helps you feel less attached to stuff. Do these things, even if they seem unconventional or crazy. Live like no one now so that you can live like no one later. So that you can be better off down the road in this life. There's a movie that came out years ago called Gravity, Sandra Bullock, Space, right? That's basically it, Sandra Bullock, Space. I send up the whole movie for you right there. I get terrified watching these movies. I mean, you are like, you want to talk about anxiety, right? The whole time you watch this movie, you have anxiety, right? There are these scenes where uh, there's a scene where a character, they... They don't have like their jetpack isn't working or whatever. They're out in space, kind of stranded, of course, you know, common problem. And they're, they need to get somewhere. And so they, they kind of, they kind of push off. And you know that if they miss that handle, that strap, that that end of the ladder, that if they miss it, they will float off into space for, well, not forever but they will float off into infinity to die a slow death. As alone as anyone could ever be. How's that for scary? And you watch those scenes and you watch the person, you think like if they let go, if they don't get it, we're talking no going back. We're talking for good permanently. This is how hard, this is, this is how hard it is for many of us to let go of these things that matter to us. To really let go, to really be generous, not just in times that are convenient, in ways that are convenient or so that we know that we get something else in return. We do it in sort of a calculated way. But to really be generous, to really actually have a standard of living like we talked about last week that is lower than someone who doesn't live for the kingdom. Because we've chosen to let go of things knowing that it's gone. But that that's okay. That is a scary thing to us. And this is why Jesus' response to anxiety is to give away yourself. Because... At the very least, while I can't control what will happen tomorrow, I can control that I have this thing right now. And so I can tell you one thing. I'm not giving this up. And Jesus is like, this is what Jesus always does. Jesus says, I'll go one step further. Let go of that thing. Be generous. Live on less. Live with less. See others be blessed through you doing that. There's a permanence to this that is scary to us, but also forces us to really let go. What if it's something I needed? What if I'm not gonna be okay now? How do I know I will have more down the road? Jesus says, this is how you take control. The last thing I want to say is this. It only makes sense to live this way, this upside-down way, if you have hope in Jesus. If you have hope in Jesus, this makes sense. If you don't have hope in Jesus, don't do this. Don't give all stuff away and don't do all these different things he talks about. If you try to live out the things Jesus tells you to do, but you don't actually have a hope in Jesus, you're not going to like the result of that. I mean, it'll probably bring you to Jesus, but it's going to hurt a lot. In Romans 8, Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul acknowledges the fact that, do we not believe that this God that we serve graciously will give us all things that matter? He's already given us his own son. In 1 Peter, we read that we are born again. So when you when you become a Christian, you're born again to a living hope, and describes that hope as imperishable and fading, pure, undefiled. So so a Christian is is a we are a people who are born again to, to a living hope. We hope in something and look to something that is so great. A God who is so generous, who is so gracious, that because of that, this all makes sense. Without that, it doesn't make sense. And every week as we look at this idea of upside down life, of living upside down, whether it's for our money, whether it's for our relationships, whether it's just generally kind of life itself, even death. We come to the same thing. A hope in Jesus, a hope in this kingdom, is where life is really found. And it's why this thing that seems so upside down actually isn't.